God speaks to us in his word in Mark 14, 53 through 72. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself out of the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in these three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is that that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Clara is awesome. She is one of our interns. Everybody knows Clara just agreed with that statement. She's one of our interns here and um, just really, <laughs> she's freaking out right now, but she just really serves our church so well, helps with kids. So parents that, that send your kids down to um, kids church, Clara's one of the ones that really help serve them. And um, sister, we love you. We're so proud of you. Thank you for serving this church. Thanks to all of our interns for serving. All right, Mark chapter 14. Um, if you're catching up to where we're at in the story, is uh, we are Jesus. This is, this is the night of his um, crucifixion. And it's really what all of Christianity, all of the church throughout history points to and culminates with. And it's not just the church, it's actually the focal point through all of history for all people, for all time, the cross of Jesus. And we're getting close now. Jesus is now in that moment where he has wrestled with God the Father. He's done what we could not do and we still don't do, which is said, God, in the garden, he said, God, I don't want to do this thing that you want me to do. 
which we stop there. Usually, when God tells us to do something that we don't want to do, it's, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. But Jesus does the thing that we don't do. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. And now we're in the moment. It was that time in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we preached on and read about last week, that Jesus knew this is the moment where I'm going to. He wrestled with the Father. I mean, wrestled. He asked him, take this cup from me. There was no wrestling. He just submitted to him. And at that moment, it's done. The decision's made. He is on his way to the cross. There's nothing that will stop it. And his trial is happening right now. This very moment is Jesus beginning to take all of the things that we deserve. He's taking it on himself in his trial. The disciples are expecting a powerful warrior. They want the Messiah to be the one that draws the sword. For years, they would have expected the Christ to come and draw the sword, defeat the Romans, establish Israel as the powerful, influential nation again. That's what they wanted. Peter and the disciples still believe that. And what's interesting is in the story before this, they go to the garden. Jesus is tired, he's fatigued, he's anxious and stressed. He goes to the Father. Well, the disciples are tired, fatigued, anxious, and stressed, and they go to sleep. Then this group of people come, religious leaders, guards come to take Jesus, and we can see immediately where Peter's heart was. Because when they came to take Jesus, he could not fathom that Jesus would allow himself to be taken. After all, Jesus is supposed to draw the sword cut off the head of the Romans, establish Israel again. And what happens is Peter draws his sword, cuts off an ear, because he was terrible at swinging a sword, I guess, and then Jesus heals the man. Now, isn't that the story of Christ? We want something different than what he is. However, what he gives us is the healing that we need. Jesus is a true king. He is Submissive, obedient, and humble. It's what he had to be in order to give them what they really needed. And what they really needed was not power on earth. What they really needed was life because they were dead. You understand there's a difference. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They had sinned even one time. That requires death. Jesus knew what they needed, and that's what he came to give them, not what they wanted. He came to give them what they needed, which was redemption and life. They wanted a force. They wanted a rock. And they got a rock, but not the kind of rock that crushes people. He does crush, but this rock, the true king, doesn't crush people. He crushes people's egos and causes arrogance to stumble. He's the rock that is a stone of offense to us. The Bible describes him as the one that the builders rejected. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's the rock that withstands winds and rain and life-shattering cataclysmic events. Jesus is the rock, but he's not the kind of rock that they thought he would be. Peter is a rock as well. 
Peter's name actually means rock. Petra. But he has a different kind of strength that's not really strength at all. He's impulsive, brash, strong-arming. He's spiritually and emotionally unsteady in, any, in every way. He draws the sword. That's what he thinks Jesus should do. That's what he's learned. He looks like a man of action, but not the kind of action that sustains and leads to maturity in Christ. This really is the tale of two rocks today. This is Jesus, the rock, Peter, the rock. Two very different outcomes, two very different ways of approaching this night. Peter's about to deny Jesus. How could this man who said, no way will I deny you, how could he go through with denying him? What kind of rock is that? That's a movable rock. That's a rock that shifts when people want something different. That's a rock that forgets God. Jesus, the rock, says, not my will, but yours. And the Bible says he set his face like flint towards the cross. Nothing was gonna shake Jesus from what he came to do. In Mark 14, 27 to 31, this is when Jesus tells Peter he's gonna deny him. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And everybody else said the same thing. This sounds like a man who's got power twisted. He's impulsive. He speaks before he thinks. My goodness, I can identify with Peter. He gives the impression of strength, but in his soul as a man, he doesn't have the kind of strength that he needs to bring redemption to his life. His strength leads to denial. It's not real strength. He needs somebody to help him. What causes a man to say, if I must die, I won't deny you, and then immediately deny Jesus? What is in his heart and mind that makes him so easily cast away his loyalty and commitment? Peter's all of us. Peter's you and me. Jesus is Jesus, and Peter is us. <laughs> Two rocks today. Mark is brilliant in his writing. He's juxtaposing Jesus' trial and Peter's trial. So we're gonna take a look at the contrast. We're gonna see exactly who we are in comparison to who Jesus is and why we have to have Jesus. There is no way around it. You do not have the strength. You are not steady enough. You do not have the faithfulness in yourself to be the rock that's needed for redemption. But Jesus does. So let's look at Peter and Jesus today. The first point I wanna make is this. Jesus gets berated while Peter gets comfortable. Jesus gets berated while Peter gets comfortable. 53 through 58, and they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. That's a lot of people, by the way. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, you remember what happened previously? All the disciples scattered away. Peter's hiding in the bushes somewhere. 
he follows Jesus at a distance. And he, Peter, was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy his temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Peter is following at a distance, not wanting to risk too much, not wanting to be too close, because what if he gets caught? Peter the rock. Real strong, Peter. Doesn't want to risk it. I mean, when Jesus is there and his disciples are around, he draws a sword and cuts a man's ear off. But as soon as Jesus gets bound, as soon as there's trouble, as soon as there's risk involved, Peter's at a distance. Now, why in the world would the Bible tell us how far Peter was from following Jesus? Why does it matter? You remember about Mark? John Mark, the one writing this gospel, is given the account of Peter and Jesus. Peter is literally telling Mark. Mark was not a disciple. He's telling Mark his account of following Jesus. There's a point to make here. Following at a distance. How familiar are we with that in the American church? We love the idea of Christ. We love the idea of Jesus as long as there's no risk involved. As long as it keeps me comfortable, gives me exactly what I want, as long as he's not asking too much of me, I'm going to kind of follow him at a distance. Church, yeah, I go to church, man. It's Oklahoma. What are you talking about? Of course I go to church. We're in America. The Bible, the Bible, I love the Bible. It's, it's great, man. It's like this sacred book, you know, totally believe whatever the Bible has to say. The problem is, is we don't really read it much. You know what the Bible says about following Jesus? It says this. Jesus said these words. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What does that mean for your life? The offense of Jesus, he is a stone of offense. The offense is this. You cannot, you do not have it in you to be the rock you need to save yourself. It's not in you. There has to be someone else that does the work for you. The best thing you can do is totally surrender to the fact that you cannot, absolutely will not be able to save yourself. And then when you realize that, when you come to that, which is massive, massively offensive to all of us, just the notion that you don't have what it takes to do what is needed, then coming to a real understanding of that makes this book and this church, and your life in Jesus, it makes it become something that's not just a part of your life, but something that is life to you. We follow Jesus at a distance. We're risk averse. We don't really wanna be close to him, especially when it means us losing our reputation, especially when it means sometimes embarrassment. 
When it costs us our comfort, we struggle. Jesus is now in the very literal process of taking what we deserve. He's getting judged. He's getting thrown under the bus of sin, under the bus of people, under the bus of broken systems, and not even his own sin. False testimony and lies. Peter not only has nothing to contribute, but himself is bearing false testimony about Jesus, and he's warming his hands. Jesus gets berated while Peter gets comfortable. That's exactly what's happened to you and me. The second point is this. Jesus stands strong while Peter crumbles. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? Jesus was silent. What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Then Jesus answered the truth, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy mockingly. And the guards received him with blows. This time of year, this very night, is one of the most significant, if not the most significant times of year for the Jews. It was the time of the Passover. It represents the deliverance of God's people out of bondage to the Egyptians. That happened a long time ago. Moses would have been one of their faith sort of forefathers. So every year, they would celebrate the Passover. And at one point, there was a lamb of atonement, or this atoning sacrifice that they would kill for all the sins of the people. And this time of year, they d did that, but also multiple other people killed lambs. And the valley uh, called Kidron would have been where blood would have stained, <laughs> been where they left the carcasses. So here we have Jesus in Passover walking through the valley of the blood-stained Kidron on his way to trial to be crucified as the perfect sacrificial lamb for us all, for all time. One after another, they're coming against him. It's supposed to be a trial. It's not a trial. It's not even a trial by their own laws. They had two ways of sort of operating in the world, the Torah and the Mishnah. The Mishnah law states this about trials. No trials could occur at night or on the eve of a Sabbath or festival. Strike one. Trials had to be held in a place called the Hall of Hoon Stones, in the temple, not the house of the high priest, strike two. In cases of capital punishment, reasons for acquittal and potential innocence had to be given before reasons for conviction. Third strike. If the person was found guilty, a separate gathering would have to occur the following day in order to help the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, 
clear their minds, and potentially lean towards mercy. Strike four. Witnesses were to be warned against rumors and hearsay. Five. Charges of blasphemy couldn't be sustained unless the person accused actually cursed God's name itself in which the person would be stoned. Six. If you're a baseball person, you've struck out twice. This is not a trial. It's a mob. Jesus is under attack. God himself, as man, fully feeling, full of emotion, full of flesh, blood pumping, able to have be injured, able to feel all of that. He's under attack. He's torn down by the very ones he created. He made them in his image and the ones that he came to save. Imagine that, what humility. He himself with the Father and the Spirit, formed every single person accusing him in their mother's womb. Jesus has no friends. They're all scattered. They left him. He has no family. They thought he was crazy. Remember earlier in Mark, they said this man is insane. He's surrounded by enemies. He's surrounded by traitors and people that hate him so much that they have disregarded all logic, all legal tradition. Pharisees who worshiped the law hate him so much that they don't care about the law anymore. All tradition and replaced it with hate-fueled rage. This is a mob. They hate him. They hate him. What he said, what he's done, what he represents, they hate Jesus. They want him dead. They want him out of there. He's too much of a threat to our lives. It's a frenzy. It's evil. It's dark. There's something behind this thing. You don't just hate to this level without some sort of evil and darkness pushing you towards it. Jesus does what nobody could do. We'd have died already at this point. Jesus remains silent. He takes it. He absorbs it. He knows that he has to. He stays faithful. Isaiah 53 gives us a lot of prophetic insight about Jesus. This is way back in the Old Testament. Here's what God wrote about what would happen to Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And when he does speak, it's to confirm the truth and also to inevitably speed up the process of his punishment on our behalf. 
This is true strength right here. And the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? He knew exactly what would happen when he answered that. This would confirm it and it would speed up my death. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now it's inevitable. Jesus is about to die for our sins. There's no way around it. Last week, Jesus says to the Father, take this cup from me, but not what I will, what you will be done. And the answer of the Father to Jesus was no. Jesus says, okay. Quickly moves towards the cross. Peter is warming himself by the fire. Two rocks, they don't compare. One is steady and faithful and committed. The other is steady and faithful and committed to his comfort, to his own life, to his own ideals about who God should be. The other is actually God. Let's catch up to Peter. Third point is this, Jesus says yes to the Father, Peter says no to Jesus. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of who you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. You might be reading this and thinking, how could he? You may be thinking like, this, he's got to be crazy. One, maybe his memory's just that bad. It's the same night that Jesus told him he would deny him, which I'm inclined, I don't have a good memory, <laughs> but I feel like if a friend of mine who was my best friend told me tonight you'll have three different times you'll deny me, I think just out of sheer ego and pride, I would try not to deny them just to prove them wrong. Peter is so stressed, he is in such disbelief that Jesus is captured, the world is caving in, all he cares about right now is self-preservation. So of course he denies him. How could he? You may be sentimental towards Jesus in this moment. You may be doing the thing that we all do. I would never betray Jesus. What's interesting is, is that Peter did that exact thing. Everybody else will fall away. I won't. Does that sound familiar in your heart? We do this a lot in the church. Most of the time, we gauge a pastor or a preacher or a church based on if they say all the things that we think they should say or if they say things that we agree with. That's how we grade sermons. That's how we grade churches. That's how we grade experiences. Peter did the same thing. 
Maybe everybody else will betray you, but I won't, Jesus. We agree. I'm the same as you. Reality is this. Peter is you and me, and Jesus is Jesus. We are deniers of God. We are betrayers of God. We are liars and accusers of God. We are the ones who fell away. The ones who left him when it was hard and our comfortability was threatened. We are the ones who chose easy over true. We are the arrogant ones, the impulsive ones, the ones that want God to do what we want, to agree with us and give us the life that we think we deserve. We are the abandoners and disloyal. We are the hypocrites that say, I will never betray you. And then do it time and time again. Jesus is different than us. He's the steady one. He's the one who doesn't flinch at the cost of being obedient to God. Jesus is the one who stays faithful and committed and loyal. Jesus is the one who gladly gives up comfort for misery. Jesus gets what we deserve and gives us what only he deserves. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that even after all of that, even after we're about to approach his crucifixion, it's brutal. Even after all of that, Jesus still pursues us. I mean, you ever think about what he must have thought of the people around him that were beating him, spitting on him? And you ever think about what he thought about Pontius Pilate? Do you ever think about this? There's a particular part in one of the Gospels where after Peter denies Jesus for the third time, it says that Jesus saw him. He caught the gaze of Jesus. Do you ever think about, like, what was that look like? What did Jesus look like when he realized Peter had done the thing that he... It's not that he avoided emotion. It's not that Jesus couldn't feel anything. It's not that he didn't feel stress or betrayal or even anger at times. You ever wonder what it was, what he must have been thinking in that moment, what he must have been feeling? As a man, multiple things, but as God who created these people in his image? I mean, this is ultimate love. You don't have this kind of love. It's ultimate love that while your enemies are destroying you, you still love them. For them, you're being destroyed. That's love. We don't have that. We don't have unconditional love. You don't. Husbands and wives, look at me real quick. Do you love unconditionally? I mean, we don't. There's only one place we can go for unconditional love. It's not within us just naturally just to love unconditionally. We usually love transactionally. But we go to the source of unconditional love. That's where you have to go in order to love someone even when they fire you up. 
even when they get on your nerves, even when they betray you. That kind of love comes from a place. And we're witnessing it in real time here with Jesus. He's about to go and die for the people that kill him. That is crazy. That's a different kind of love. Peter betrays him. Peter doesn't step in. Not only does he not step in, he denies him. One of my favorite stories is Jesus' pursuit of Peter after he's resurrected in the end of John. Jesus, resurrected, having died, now goes and pursues restoration with the one who betrayed him. He sits on the beach. He makes breakfast for Peter and the disciple, the other guys that were with him, some disciples. And he restores Peter, even in his denial. And then later, Peter tells us this. For to this you have been called, because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. First Peter 2, 21 through 25. Jesus is here to tell us something. There's only one way to be restored to the Father. It's through him. It's through him. I had several moments getting ready for this this week. Um, But one thing that just kept going through my personal mind and heart, the the more I read about and understand Jesus, the closer I get to Jesus in my life, Um, the closer I get to him, the less I care about my own rights. When I'm away from Jesus, when I don't have perspective on what he's done for me, I care a lot about my rights. I care a lot about what I'm owed, the betrayals that are done to me. So I wanna invite you today Get close to Jesus. Get close to him. Everything else tends to kind of just fade in the back when we're close to him. Lay down your rights. Look, the only right that we have in eternity is the right to be judged eternally by God. And because of what Jesus has done, now he's set his rights on us, which is the right towards eternal life. But you gotta deny yourself first. You have to die first. So if you have not done that yet, the invitation today is this. Put your trust imperfectly. Put your imperfect trust in Jesus to save your life. I promise you, he is every bit as good as everything I just told you today and even better. This is not even, I couldn't even get close to scratch the surface of how good the Lord Jesus is. Let's take the table together. Let's stand.